Father, we praise you so much that that is our hope, that is our joy. We praise you so much that that love, that in love that flows like an incessant fountain from above, that that is our joy this afternoon, to drink deeply and to experience and taste of that joy. And now as we turn to your word, as we open this life-giving treasure, that you would speak to us, please, Father. Please, by your spirit, say what we need to hear. Speak words of life. Speak words of transformation by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, my name um, is John T, and it's great to be able to open God's words and to share with you. And we've been um, thinking about this theme of fruitfulness I think one of the reasons it's an important theme is because all of us are sort of fascinated by things that grow. Okay, we're all fascinated by growth. Like surely you remember as a child, someone lining you up against a wall and drawing a pencil line against the wall and, and, and seeing it, look how much I've grown, or I haven't grown. You look, look at me. We're fascinated by things that grow. We love it. It gives us excitement. You plant a sunflower seed in a pot and you watch it. And even as an adult, there's a hard to deny there's a little bit of joy, right? In seeing it grow before your eyes. There's something about growth which fascinates us. And that's because God created us for growth. You see, it might be that you think to yourself, ah, oh, tell you what I'd love to do today. I'd love to have a day when I just achieve nothing, do nothing, I sit on my own, and I just do nothing. The trouble is, if you've ever tried that for very long, it just isn't very satisfying. Because the thing that actually satisfies us as human beings is when we grow things. When we can look back and say, look, Look at what I've done. Because that's how God's designed us. About three weeks ago when we started this series, we saw that in very, the very creation that God made in Genesis, he created everything with the potential for growth. That's what we're for. And so no wonder our hearts kind of echo to that beat. And what you discover is when you read much of the teaching of Jesus... A lot of his parables contain within them the idea of growth. They're parables about things that grow. And what we're going to do this afternoon is we're going to stick in one. The last few weeks, we've been all over the place, right? You've been like, oh, ah, we've been here and then there in the, in the Bible. This week, we're just going to be in Matthew 25. I promise. Most of the time. And we're going to be in Matthew 25, and we're just going to explore this one story, this one parable that Jesus told in order for us to help to kind of keep unpacking this theme of fruitfulness. We've thought about the way we use our time. We've thought about how we rest. We're going to push into a different area in, in this story, this parable. What a privilege, right? Jesus, the eternal son of God, these are his words. This is what Jesus says to us as his church this afternoon. That's a big deal. So let's listen um, as we explore this together. We're going to go from verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14. And this is what Jesus says. 
Again, so he's already told a story. We haven't got time to do that one. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Okay, uh, before we go any further, um, we better work out what it is. <laughs> right? It will be like a man. Go- what? What's like a man going on a journey? Well, in order to work that out, you've got to get back to the start of chapter 25, where Jesus says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Okay, so... What Jesus is doing is he's telling us a parable about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, so before we can go any further in this reading, we need to stop and say, well, what's the kingdom? What's that? What does that mean? It's a massive theme in Matthew's gospel. We're going to unpack it loads more this term. Pretty much all this term is going to be on the theme of the kingdom of heaven as we study the Sermon on the Mount. But for today, let me just say this. The message that we believe, the hope that we have, the gospel that we cling to is the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. That's what God is doing in this world. You see, it's definitely the case that sometimes we shrink the gospel down to Jesus came and he died to save you so that you could go to heaven when you die. That's not That's not the gospel according to Matthew. The gospel according to Matthew is the kingdom of heaven has come. And it's this kingdom that is the good news for our world. You see, here's the deal. There was a time when I belonged to another kingdom. All of humanity by nature belongs to another kingdom. A a kingdom of darkness. A kingdom of rebellion, a kingdom that sets itself against God, the king, and declares its own rules and says, no, we are king. It's a kingdom of darkness. It's a kingdom of suffering. It's a kingdom of shame. And it's a kingdom of death. And in many ways, if God had simply looked at this world and said, you have set up a rival kingdom, therefore I will destroy you, in many ways you'd say, well, that, I mean, that would be just. And yet instead, this God of extraordinary love says, I, I love this world that I've created. And so what God does is he sends his son to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth And then to call people to come from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of his son. This is the gospel. Jesus is the king. This is the gospel. Jesus is the king who came to save his people. This is the gospel that Jesus went to a cross to die in darkness. The darkness we deserve. This is the gospel that Jesus went to a cross and suffered the death that we deserve. This is the gospel that Jesus at the cross experienced the shame that we deserve so that we might no longer be part of this kingdom and be brought into his kingdom. Jesus came. That's the gospel we cling to. And when Jesus saves us from the kingdom of this world and brings us into his kingdom, we now have a new king. But please hear me, Jesus did not come to pluck you out of the kingdom of this world. He came to plant you back into it. He doesn't call us to isolate 
from this world. He calls us to integrate into this world, to be the kingdom of heaven among this world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You see, when Jesus in this parable, we will read a bit more in a minute. It will be like a man going on a journey. The kingdom of heaven, you see, is not a future reality. It's a now reality. The kingdom of heaven has come. We are part of the kingdom of heaven if we've come to Jesus. So my first question this afternoon before we go any further in this parable is do you know that Jesus is the king? If you've experienced anything of the death and suffering and darkness and shame of this world, you have to hear this good news, that Jesus came to bring you out of that kingdom and into his kingdom, which is a kingdom of life, a kingdom of light, a kingdom of peace, and a kingdom of joy. Where your shame and your sin is gone. He died for you. He rose again. He's rescued you. And now you are part of his kingdom. Do you know that reality? If you do, then this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. (laughs) Let's read the parable, shall we? It will be like a man going on a journey. What a strange way to start a parable. I think if you'd asked me, the kingdom of heaven will be like a lion. It will be like a waterfall. It will be a mountain mountain. A man going on a journey. (laughs) Strange, isn't it? who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. For the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out, I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, says Jesus. This new reality that Jesus has called us into, saved us into, planted in this world, not plucked out of this world. And I just want us to see three things. 
which I hope will help us. Perhaps you noticed as we read it, the, the growth kind of motif in it. It's not difficult to see, right? Here's the three words that I want us to go into this week with. Firstly, the word entrusted. The master entrusted his wealth to his servants. That's the first scene. So the master calls his servants and he entrusted his wealth to them. What does that tell you about someone? If someone entrusts something to you, what does that tell you about your relationship with them? They obviously think quite highly of you. They, they, they trust you. You don't entrust something to someone. You're like, if I lend my car to someone, entrust my car to someone, it, it says something about what I think of their driving, doesn't it? And if I say no, someone says, can I borrow your car? No, not so much. <laughs> that says something, doesn't it? So here is the remarkable thing about this story. In this story, the master is Jesus. Jesus has gone on a long journey. He has left this world and returned to heaven. He came, he died on a cross, he rose again, he's returned to heaven. But what has Jesus done? He has entrusted his ongoing work of the kingdom to his servants, I think that's remarkable. Not to angels. He didn't say, tell you what, Gabriel, get some mates together. I've got a mission for you. Instead he said, hey, Globe Church, I've got a mission for you. I've got a task for you. If you've ever been entrusted with something, it gives a... Well, my experience... When I've borrowed cars from other people, let's go on the car theme. I've got, a, I've got a, um, a hire car at the moment because someone bashed into our car. So we're, we're, in a, we're in a hire car. I went to pick it up from Enterprise. It's a very stressful thing, right? Because they entrust the car to you. The woman showed me around. She showed me how it worked. And she said, off you go. I sat in the car park. And it's so embarrassing. I couldn't make it work. I, I couldn't make the engine start. There was nowhere to put the key. Apparently, you don't need to do that. There was a button that said start and stop. I pushed that. Some lights came on. It did nothing. It said press the clutch. I pressed the clutch. And you just feel so stupid, right? And you, you, you feel a sense of nervousness around, I've been entrusted with this thing. Because to be entrusted is a big responsibility. And yet, at the same time, to be entrusted is so empowering. I've been driving that car for a few days now, and it's empowering as I drive down the motorway now. I put it in cruise control. <laughs> and it keeps me two car lengths from the car in front. It's, it's a very bossy car. It keeps telling me when to change gear. And it says, you're going out of your lane. I know, I'm overtaking. <laughs> Stop moaning at me. But anyway, you have this sense of, so, so to be entrusted with something, there is a sense of both awe and, oh wow, and empowerment. Well, here's the deal. Jesus has entrusted to his servants his work. Jesus isn't here anymore. He's not on earth anymore. So how is the kingdom work going to continue through his people? 
But let's look at the detail in verse um, 18, uh, verse 15. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Now again, what you see here is a master who knows his servants. I don't think this is the master being mean. I think this is the master being kind. Saying, I know exactly what each of you can handle. I know exactly what your abilities and your capabilities are. I know your stress levels. I know your personalities. I know what you can cope with. And I will give you work to do that is for your ability. And so the master gives his wealth. Now, let's just be clear. This is a lot of money. We're talking probably five bags of gold. is kind of equivalent to like three million pounds, right? So this servant is being entrusted with three million pounds. I'm trusting this to you. It's a significant thing. This is not like, can you be in charge of the glue spreaders, right? This is not a small little responsibility. This is major um, responsibility. And I think what we're trying, what Jesus is saying to his disciples as he prepares them for his departure is, listen, I am entrusting to you my ongoing work. You need to see what a privilege this is. Now, let's just think about this in some practical ways because this all still sounds quite vague. Here are some practical things then. What exactly is Jesus entrusting to his people? Well, he's entrusted you with specific things. Think about your... It's nice to hear that our God is a great big God in the background, isn't it? Um, <laughs> come on, brain. You can do this. Let's think of a few practical places where Jesus entrusted you with things. Think of your bank balance. Jesus has entrusted to you financial resources or Massive debt. Jesus has entrusted to you a financial situation and says, I want you to use this. This is a resource that I've given you, entrusted to you. Think of the, perhaps the job or the career that he's given you. He's entrusted that to you. Such that you might use that in this great kingdom work of of being in the kingdom of this world and shining the light of his kingdom in this world. Or the gifts that he's given you, the, the personality, perhaps you're brilliant at languages, perhaps you're great at music. Perhaps you're wonderful with people. Perhaps you're good at cooking. But whatever it is, he has entrusted to each of us Work, responsibilities for his kingdom. I just want you to see that. And you may sit there and you may think, oh, I don't think he's entrusted anything to me. Yes, he has. All of his servants are entrusted with work to do. But it's not a work that will crush you, okay? Jesus is not demanding more of you than you can handle. He knows you. He knows your gifts, he knows your personality, he knows your temperament, he knows you. And he entrusts work to you. I think it makes a big difference to think of our lives as being entrusted to us. 
You see, we often talk about, we use the kind of possessive um, language, right? This is mine. Mine, mine, mine. It's mine. Actually, I... I can't drive my car from Enterprise, really, going around going, it's mine. I know it's not really. It's been entrusted to me, and I'll have to give it back. And that's true of everything we have. All that you have entrusted to you. Okay, let's keep going. We'll, we'll land this a bit more practically again at the end. The second big thing to see is investing, right? Entrusted. It's the first scene. Second scene, investing. That is using what you've been given. Right, let's have a look at them. Let's have a look at the first man. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. Right, notice this. At once. Here's a, a guy who gets this privilege, these five bags of gold... And he's so excited about the opportunity to use this, he at once goes, puts that to work, and gains five more. You might say, um, why, why does he do that? I wonder what was motivating him. Perhaps he was just one of those entrepreneurial types, you know. Oh, great, I'll go and make some money. <laughs> Actually, I think as the story unfolds, and this is really key, I want you to see this. It is a reflection of what he thinks of his master. It's a reflection of what he thinks of his master. You see, this servant so loves his master that he sees these five bags of gold as a privilege. He looks and he goes, wow, what a privilege. You mean I get to use this for you? And he rushes off in order to put this money to work. But then comes um, my hero in this story. I have developed this week, as I've studied this, a love for one of the characters in this story. And the character that I think I'm most excited about is the guy who was given two coins. Two got bags of gold. Let me explain why. All he gets is verse 17. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Here's what I love about the man with two bags of gold. It would have been so easy for him to look at the man with five bags and go, well, I haven't got as much as him. And to be jealous, to be comparing... To think, I wish I had five bags. But actually, he takes what the master has given him, and in exactly the same way as five bags, Philip says, I love it. I've been given two bags of gold by my master. He loves his master, and off he goes and gets two bags more. Do you, do you see that's beautiful? I think many of us, we spend most of our, not most of our time, we spend a lot of time worrying about the gifts that we haven't got and wishing we had gifts we didn't, we don't have. Can I tell you something I discovered on my sabbatical? Um, I read quite a lot of stuff and I listened to quite a lot of stuff and 
And I found myself going, oh, I wish God had given me more, a more academic sort of brain. I, I wish I'd got a, a degree in this. And I wish I could do philosophy and I wish I could do this. And oh, there's all these brilliant people. And we listen to this lecture by a guy who's a specialist on the ancient patristic fathers of Christology. And you're like, wow, that sounds good. I wish I could say I was that. I'm not, I'm not that. <laughs> And I found my heart beginning to think, I wish I was that. I wish I had that. And yet here's this two-bags man. And he goes, I'm a two-bag. I'm a two-bag man. That's who I am. And he seems quite happy to be a two-bag man. I love that. I want to be content to be that. I want to rejoice that there are five-bag people who are doing five bag things over there. And I want to say, God, if you want me to be a two bag person, I'll be a two bag person. Because the amount doesn't matter. It's the heart that puts it to work. And as they put it to work, we're not told exactly what they did. But the reality is that there is effort involved in that. There's risk involved in that. You've got to try some stuff. You've got to go for it. You've got to have a go. You've got to step out. But the man with one bag, well, he was completely different, right? Five bags, what a privilege. Two bags, what a privilege. One bag, what a pain. What a burden. Oh, now I've got to do something with this. I don't want to do something with this. This is going to get in the way of my life. I've got plans for my life. I'm supposed to be doing things. I'm supposed to be... Like, me, I, I, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll bury it. Then I can forget about it and get on with my life. You see, what Jesus is looking for in his followers, as he says to you, I entrust my work to you, he says, will you invest? Will you invest what I have given you, or will you bury it? That means taking risks. It means stepping out. It means doing things that perhaps make your heart beat a little bit faster. Things that don't perhaps feel entirely safe. Going, doing something. I think as a, as a culture, we are pretty risk averse. And I think what Jesus is calling us to is to say, take some risks. Let's think about those areas again. What about in our finances? How do we be fruitful with our money? You may have very little money. You may have quite a lot of money doesn't really matter whether you've got a lot or a little. What you do with it, whether you're two bags or ten bags or not quite half a bag, actually what you do with it is the expression of the heart. You see, one of the people that Jesus was most amazed by when he was on earth was a widow who only had two coins. She invested everything. You want to know what someone who loves Jesus looks like? It's that. Jesus, take this. It's all I've got to live on, but take it. That is risky. It cost her, no doubt her heart was beating as she put it into the 
offering thing. But Jesus honored her. And for some of us, because we belong to the kingdom of heaven, we need to use our money like we belong to the kingdom of heaven, not like we belong to the kingdom of the world. Because part of the problem is that often the way that we approach our money is no different to the way the world does. And Jesus says, but I've entrusted that to you. That's not yours. It's mine. I entrusted it to you to use. Now, this is not a call, by the way, to be reckless. This is not a call to be foolish. This is not a call to kind of sell your homes and live on the streets. Not that. But I don't think many of us are in danger of falling off that side of the mountain, right? And so perhaps for some of us, as we hear this power, we say, Jesus, how can I use my money to do good in this world? to do kingdom things in this world, that more people might hear of Jesus, that more people might see the goodness of this kingdom, that we might invest our money, not just store it for ourselves. Or take, or take our careers, right? Take, take um, the, the, or the gifts that we've got. Supposing someone is um, really good at French or whatever. Let's... let's Talk, talk French. Um, supposing someone's really good at French. You might say, well, I shouldn't work too hard at French. You know, it's fine. I'll... Actually, what about if you say, no, no. Be the best you can. If God has given you a gift, an ability for languages, do the very best you can. Learn the language to the very best of your ability. But then say, not, how do I use this now to get as much as I can for myself? How do I use this to now be involved in going and doing good in this world? How do I do that? You see, sometimes I think we're nervous as Christians. We shouldn't be ambitious. You know, we shouldn't be too ambitious. You should. You should be massively ambitious. Christians should be the most ambitious people in the world. But not with ambition that's about me. But of ambition about how do I take what Jesus has given me and use it. And wherever it is, whatever it is, God has put you tomorrow morning as you walk into your, it's bank holiday, Tuesday morning as you go into your workplace if you work. You say, Jesus, how do I do my job today in a way that honors you? This is next week's sermon, right? Next week we're going to think about how we're fruitful in our work. But it may be in our friendships, the things we spend our time doing, all of this stuff. Lord, you've given me this. What am I going to do with it? So what is it you love? What is your passion? Poetry? Science? What are the things that you delight in? Do you love working with kids? Do you love cutting people's hair? What is it that you love doing? What is it that Jesus made you good at? Do it. Do it more. For him. In the very best that you can. Okay, one final thing, because I want to see to the end of this story. Because as we take what we have been entrusted with and invest it, there is a day of future joy. It's impossible to miss where this story is driving towards. A staggering day of future joy. 
Verse 18, after a long time, verse 19. So my eyesight has definitely got worse over sabbatical. All of the verse numbers look like they're in 18 at the moment. Anyway, after a long time, I'm going to have to wear glasses. Um, after a long time, the master of those servants returned. A long time? We shouldn't be surprised that Jesus has been a long time. He told us he was going to be a long time. All right? No surprises. But he did, this master returns, and he settles his accounts with them. Oh, I love this. Right, here we go. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, so yeah, I've gained five more. How's that servant feeling? Come on, how's he feeling? Have you ever had a feeling like that? When you know, when you know that you've done something good because you love someone, you know you have bought the best present that you could ever, it's like a genius present. They are going to love it. You ever managed that? Or you've done something, you know, you've, you've tidied the house. I remember as a kid once, cleaning the kitchen really carefully because I just wanted to show my mum I loved her and cleaned the kitchen really thoroughly. And then you hear them come in through the door. You're so excited, right? And as they walk into the room or as they open the present, what are you looking at? You're looking at their face. You're not looking at the present. You're looking at their face because what are you waiting to see? You just wait to see them smile. That is all the reward you need, isn't it? When you love someone and you work for them and then they smile. And that's exactly what the master says. I mean, you can hear the smile, can't you, in verse 21? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You can imagine, right? All of the cost. No, no doubt it's been hard work. No doubt that at times that servant has thought, am I doing the right thing? Perhaps there have been bad days when it's all gone wrong. Perhaps he wonders, am I doing the right thing? He, he's, he's been stressed. Perhaps there have been really hard days. Perhaps it's been costly. Perhaps there's been days when he's had to go without food in order to be able to fund what they're doing. Perhaps it's been hard. And suddenly in that smile, all of it, it was worth it. It was worth it. As he sees his master's smile. And interestingly, the master doesn't say, put your feet up and have a rest. He says, come and do more. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Because our eternal destiny is not to sit around achieving nothing. Our eternal destiny is to go on growing and go on producing and multiplying. That's what Jesus has in store for us. Here comes my favorite, the man with two bags. Master, he said, you entrusted me two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. You sense there's an exact amount of pride, exact amount of joy, just the same. He doesn't come going, well, obviously I'm not as good as five bags, but I've got two bags. It's nothing like that. It's just, Jesus, you gave this to me, here it is. And the master says exactly the same thing. You've been faithful with a few things, well done. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
five bags people don't get more than two bags people when Jesus returns. What Jesus cares about is our heart's love for him that will invest everything for him. But then obviously we're left with the one bag. And in many ways, this is where the story is kind of driving towards. And the way Jesus tells the story is so powerful because it's leaving you, well, oh man, what's going to happen? Well, if the first two hear the master's returning and feel a sense of joy, come on, what's the, what's the third servant? What does he feel? The master's coming, the master's coming. What does the third servant feel? A sinking feeling. The, oh, the master. Oh, he gave me a bag of gold. What did I do with it? Oh, I buried it. Where did I put it? He goes out to the garden. He digs it up and he comes with his one bag of gold and perhaps his hands are still filthy, dirty with mud. And he comes to his master. And look what he says. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. It couldn't be more different, could it? He wants to blame the master. You're a bad master. He's not a bad, we know he's not a bad master. He entrusted millions of pounds to his servants. He's so good, he's so kind. But this servant, who cared nothing for the master, just wants to blame the master. And it's shameful. And the master replies, you wicked, lazy servant. If what you said is really true, if you were really afraid, you'd have at least put it in the bank. You weren't afraid. You were just lazy. You weren't afraid. It just got in the way of you doing what you wanted to do. You weren't afraid. You just buried it. And so that third servant loses everything. That third servant shows that he was never truly a servant of the master. He never really loved the master. And so that third servant is shut out in the kingdom of darkness and death and of suffering. And this is a warning to us. Jesus tells us this warning to say, I have this great plan for you, this great mission for you. But if your hearts don't love me, And if you bury what I give you, then you will not share in the coming future kingdom. This is a warning for us to take seriously. And Jesus tells us this story so that we can get excited about the work he's given us to do. So let's wrap this all up. And I want us to spend some time thinking um, as we sit, we're going to sing in a minute and we're going to have a bit of space just to think. What is it Jesus has entrusted to you? What's he given you? What opportunities has he put before you? What are the opportunities to be a kingdom person in this world, to be different, to be distinct, to do good? What are the opportunities that you might be able to help others to come into this kingdom? What's he given you? What finances has he given you? What passions has he given you? And will you risk it? What would it look like for you to invest your life in this kingdom? I'd love us to take some time to really seriously consider this. Um, 
and to pray, to, to pray and ask God, what, what do you want me to do? How, how do I serve you? Um, this is what it means to be fruitful. Jesus did not save you so that you could bury what he's given you and do nothing until he returns. He really didn't. He saved you and entrusted stuff to you so that you could work for him, do good for him, live for him, love him. And if you're feeling guilty, you must, must, must know he's such a good master. He forgives. We screw up. He picks us up and says, let's go again. Let's go again. This is a, a, today is a line in the sand. You don't have to say, well, I'm rubbish. I must be the one-bag servant. No, you mustn't. Choose today. Choose today to be the two-bag servant, the three-bag, four-bag, whatever you are. Choose today. Jesus, I want to serve you. I want to invest my life in your kingdom. I want to give it for you. And whether that means doing my job as a Christian and loving you and living for you and speaking for you and doing good or whether you want me to go and do something completely different go overseas and do something in another place or, or set up a charity or do something Lord, what do you want us to do that, that, that's what I'm trying to get at as a church Jesus what do you want us to do in this city what do you want us to do so why don't we take a moment as the band come um, up Let's take a moment to, to pray.